0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
1: Welcome to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer, my daily podcast with the best bits from my Talk Radio Breakfast show.
0: Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Be well informed.
1: Today, so The government has announced a new £5 billion boost over five years for bus routes and bike paths. Uh, but that comes, of course, on the day they're going to spend way way more than that. Some say up to £106 billion more uh, to go ahead with HS2. Now, there had been a lot of talk about whether or not Boris Johnson would cancel the HS2 project, uh, which was thought to be uh, well over budget and well over schedule and actually not actually fit for purpose in terms of delivering the sort of transport links that many were hoping for between the north and south of the country, and specifically, of course, uh, between the east and the west of northern parts of the country. However, it's understood uh, late last night that uh, Boris Johnson will formally announce not only is he going ahead with HS2, the first phase, London to Birmingham, but also uh, going ahead with the links uh, to Leeds and Manchester as well, although there will be some changes uh, to that project. Well, let's talk about this with a man who's looked very much into detail on the HS2 project. That's Lord Burke Barclay. He's the former deputy chairman of the Oakavy Review, looking into uh, the overrun and the overcost of HS2. And I'm very pleased to say he joins us now. Good morning to you. Good
2: morning. Um, morning. Do you
1: think Boris Johnson is making the right decision going ahead with this? Well, if,
2: if Boris Johnson has got 100 and, £106 billion pounds to spend, I think that's very nice for people who want to get to London more quickly. But it actually doesn't solve the problem of getting around the regions across, across the Pennines and between the East and West Midlands and things like that, which actually needs another £100 billion or so to improve the lines, which are really awful there.
1: Well, I mean, this is the thing, isn't its is We're often told, well, it doesn't have to be an either or, but when huge sums of money uh, are spent on a major project like this, it does mean there is less for other projects. Well, we spoke to um, the uh, executive uh, of on Rail Magazine, Nigel Harris, acknowledged yeah. expert on the railways, um, who said, look, actually, there are a lot of hidden benefits to HS2. And although, yes, you know, some a couple of business people getting to and from Birmingham and London 20 minutes quicker doesn't actually benefit the vast majority of the population. He said there is hidden benefit. There, are, You basically get four railways for the price of one because it's effectively to all intents and purposes it's like a motorway bypass for fast trains and that enables more trains to run between many other destinations that otherwise uh, would see those lines being used by uh, these fast trains uh, from London to, to major hubs in the north do you think there are hidden benefits and are they worth it?
2: Well I mean there are certainly hidden benefits because you're providing more capacity but you could provide a lot of that capacity by upgrading the existing lines at very much lower cost
1: but well, hold on well, it, a second, it, it, if you upgrade the existing lines, you still only have the one line, though.
2: Well, you don't have one line with respect. You've got four lines. You've got the East Coast Main Line to Leeds. You've got the Midland Main Line to Sheffield. You've got the West Coast Main Line to Manchester. No,
1: I mean, on, the a- on, that, on any of those actual routes, you've still got the going north and the going south routes, haven't you?
2: Well, those are the going north and the going south routes, but they could be upgraded to take a great deal more traffic. Um, and I'm not saying it's, it's going to be cheap, but it'll be about the cost will be about half the cost of HS2, and I think that's something which people need to think about. Is if money, you know, if money grew on trees, that's absolutely lovely to have all these projects. But having HS1 and not upgrading the the local and regional lines for people who commute to Leeds, to Manchester, to Birmingham every day they have an awful service at the moment and that needs massive investment. And that is not in what I've heard the Prime Minister is going to announce
1: today. No, and that's the issue, isn't it? It's the sheer number of people who will benefit uh, from this. We, we saw this with the Channel Tunnel on the high-speed rail links there. Massively overplayed benefits and massively underplayed costs. Um, when we talk about um, the, the costs as well, like you obviously very, played a very senior role in the Okavy review uh, that, that came up with this £106 billion figure. Is it possible for the government to deliver uh, this uh, this project for a lot less than that? And if so, how?
2: Uh, the government could reduce the costs of the project quite significantly. Transport Scotland did a study on, if you were starting from a clean sheet of paper, which, of course, you're not in phase one, but in phase two B you are. Was saying, phase you one, po- just
1: to clarify, phase one is, of course, Sorry. London to Birmingham and phase London two. London to
2: Birmingham, yeah. But uh, if you were doing um, Birmingham to Leeds, you could probably save 30% of the cost. And I think that's something that the Prime Minister is also looking at, but you could also do that by putting four tracks where there are two and electrifying the lines. But um, I, I think the real worry is the cost coming to London as well because do you really need to spend £8 billion to get from Old Oak Common to Euston because Old Oak Common is on Crossrail. It's one stop down from Paddington and it's a very good service. It will be when Crossrail opens. And, you know, things like that and also reducing the speed of the trains on HS. HS2, um, you don't need to have the fastest trains in the Western world because we're a small country and that makes a great deal of difference to the cost.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, again, so it's, they've gone for, we're told, very, very high spec. And something we've also been told that, uh, again, also the way the contract has been uh, uh, written for various of these companies, that they want, they're looking at sort of guarantees for the next 30 years, there'll be no problems. And by, as soon as you do that, in the same as if you're demanding that from your, your builder doing your new bathroom and your new kitchen at home, you are looking at massively escalating the cost beyond all reason.
2: Well, you are. And is, and is, is it really justified... I mean, this should be part of the whole UK rail network, which is getting a lot better. And um, having a 30-year without any maintenance, if, if that's what they're uh, saying, is it, a bit is a bit naive, honestly. I mean, there's just one example of the, the ballasted track. Because if you go the speed that they're designing for, you have to have a concrete slab underneath the tracks all the way along from London to Birmingham. And if the ground underneath the slab is a little bit soft, then you have to put piles underneath the slab. And in one place, I think there's 20 miles of piled concrete slab being proposed on the phase, phase one. And that really isn't on. I mean, the cost of doing all that is, is, is massive, apart from disturbance to people who live near the, near the line.
1: Well, I mean, that's one of the things, isn't there? There's going to be massive disturbance to, to many people, and again, the uh, interesting thing, of course, look, there seems to be more support for this project in London than there is in many parts of the country it's supposed to benefit. But in fact, uh, there will be massive disruption in in many parts of the uh, of the country, and particularly actually North London. I understand uh, you know, Euston Road, a major arterial route, a red route, absolutely vital uh, for transport across London, uh, is to all intents purposes going to be shut down with lorry use uh, if if this project does go ahead. Um, Realistically, in terms of time frame, if this does all go ahead, even if they cut some of those costs and and they do uh, uh, take some, some listen to some of the people like you talking sense on this, is it going to be delivered uh, within the time frame? We're talking phase two, I think by 2040 is the latest talk. Is that even remotely doable?
2: Well, it's, it's possible by 2040. That's 20 years away. And, and just to remind the people who live up in the, in, in the north, northeast or northwest, improvements to existing lines can be done much sooner in the next five years on a rolling program, including electrification and everything. Yes, it can be done, but is it the best way of doing it? That's the debate we have to
1: have. Um, well, the Fair Fuel UK campaign, uh, who, who argue against the uh, fuel tax and obviously defending motorists, yeah. they, they just tweeted to say 37 million drivers can be comforted. The HS2 and also the announcement of 250 miles of new cycle lanes will take precedence over repairing our existing constipated, moon-crated roads that we all use. And this is a, a point that number people are making. Look, you know, most people don't get the train. To, they certainly don't commute. A tiny percentage of people, yeah. under 5%, uh, actually ever commute... Uh, uh, using railways most people don't get the train from one year to the next maybe one occasional train use visit a relative or something or for, or for business um and yet we spend so much money on our railways actually most people care more about bus services more money for that today but a fraction yeah. but also they care about the roads that we use and yet we've got what a six billion pound uh, backlog in uh, in uh, pothole repairs do you think this money would be better spent on our road network
2: Well, Julia, uh, a very good question. But look at the commuter service around London compared with other parts of the country. There's not many people... They haven't got the option. (laughs) So they don't have an option because, first of all, the roads are congested. And secondly, there's a pretty good commuter rail service around London. In the regions, it's not like that. And many, many more people drive to work because they haven't got an alternative. So if the railways are improved there, they wouldn't have
0: to drive to work. (laughs) breakfast with Julia Hargley Brewer and The Times know your times
1: the Court of Appeal last night handed an 11th hour reprieve to a group of up to 50 Jamaican born people living here in Britain due to be deported from the UK today for criminal offences. Now the Home Secretary Peter Patel had defended the deportation plan despite the concerns that some of those on board hadn't lived in Jamaica since they were young children some as young as three or four and more than 170 MPs from across the political divide called on the government to stop the flight. It was due to leave at 6.30 this morning. Now some report this morning are saying that flight has now taken off. Uh, Others are saying it is due still to take off, despite the fact uh, that the Court of Appeal said that uh, detainees at uh, two different detention centres, Harmonsworth and Colnbrook, could not be put on the flight. A particular issue, it it determined, determined was about um, functioning mobile phone access, so people couldn't actually contact lawyers, particularly if they were on O2, because there were issues with an O2 mast in the area. Uh, Now, there have also been concerns about the fact that uh, the, the many of those who were due to be deported as they had been living in the UK not, not part of the Windrush generation it was obviously much, uh, much older generation but people who had been brought here as children living as Britons in this country with no family links uh, back in Jamaica who've committed crimes many, many years after arriving in this country as adults been punished for those crimes some of those, yes, very serious crimes including uh, rape and violence uh, but that they uh, um, were going to be returned to a country which they simply did not consider home. Now, big debate going on in the House of Commons yesterday, as she was raised in an emergency question from uh, David Lammy, the Tottenham MP. Uh, big outcry in the Commons actually she, when Priti Patel, chose to leave the chamber at the beginning of that. But let's try to get to the bottom of what's going on here uh, with uh, Satbir Singh, who's chief executive of the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. Good morning, Chief Satbir.
3: Good morning.
1: Um, now, it's the completely competing stories this morning about whether or not this flight has actually left or not. The Home Office certainly said the flight would go ahead but admitted that the uh, majority of the detainees held at those two uh, detention centres in Heathrow would not be on board.
3: Yes, I mean, we're we're hearing both. We're hearing that it's been delayed and that it's taken off. We're still waiting for confirmation either way. We're also not clear exactly how many people were given a reprieve after the Court of Appeal ruling last night. I mean, it's a little bit of chaos um, as far as the information goes. How how
1: unusual with the Home Office. I mean, (laughs) that almost never happens.
3: Indeed, indeed. But what's really troubling about that is that yesterday we had, you know, 11 comments from ministers saying that due process is followed, due process is followed you know, just in hours before the flight takes off, a court says, actually, no, due process hasn't been followed. And there's a number of people on this flight that really shouldn't be on it. Um, it's really difficult to have faith in that process.
1: Yes, well, indeed, I mean, we, we know there have been many, many times when we don't, we've proven not to have faith in the Home Office process. Now, there are lots of people who uh, um, are arguing about this uh, are online yesterday, and I know radio stations as well, saying, look, you know, these are people who, they're not British, they don't have British passports. Uh, they, they have come to this country, they have committed some very serious crimes. Okay, I mean, including drugs offences, which are you know, not violent crimes, but nevertheless are serious crimes for, for most of us. Um, and they, they're no longer welcome here. They, they are not suspected of crimes. They have been convicted and sentenced, and they, they don't, they're no longer welcome in this country. What do you say to people who, who think that?
3: I think it's amazing that we use the British passport as the definition of whether you're British. There's, there's millions and millions and millions... British people who've lived here for 20 generations who don't have passports either.
1: But they would be eligible you, for a British passport. If they applied for yes, it, they'd get it within a few if days. You've
3: lived here, if you've lived here since you were a child, you are more British than you are foreign. And it's not enough on the one hand to say, as the minister did yesterday, he defines the Windrush generation purely as that nurse that came here and delivered 100 babies. Does that nurse not get the chance to make a mistake? If that nurse gets caught with an ounce of weed in her pocket, do we suddenly disown her? Those are British people in all but name. There is no back for us to send them back to. And if they've gone to jail and they've served their time and they've been rehabilitated, they should get the chance, just like everybody else, to go back to their families, back to their communities and try to be better. You can't punish people twice.
1: Well, this is it. We're talking about punishing people twice. I, I look. I, I think the vast majority of people in this country and people listening right now don't have an issue with deporting foreign criminals. So if you arrive in this country as an adult and you commit a serious crime, I mean, I don't mean someone you know speeding at forty-three miles per hour or something. I mean, I mean, can we commit a serious crime and you go to jail for it. I'm, I'm, I've got to be honest with you. Bye, bye. I don't care if you're married to someone, you've got kids here. That's not my problem. You should have thought that before you commit the crime. But I, where I do draw the line is when people have arrived here as a child uh, and have, through no choice of their own, but don't have documentation to say they're British. But because we all know, I mean, lots of people say, why do these people not have documentation to say they're British? But of course, there's a very long, complicated and very expensive process to do that, isn't there?
3: There is. It costs thousands of pounds to, to get that paperwork. And in a lot of those cases, if people came here at the age of three or seven or some of them were actually even born here, they won't know that they're not British. It's only when something goes wrong that you're told that you're not British and people have gone through life assuming that they are. And it can be quite a shock then to find out that, you know, you've you've, you've admitted to having made a mistake in your life, you've gone to jail, you've served your time, you come out only to then be told that actually we've discovered that you're not British and we're sending you back to a country you've never lived before.
1: And there have been um, some concerns, haven't there, from some people that actually the, uh, they would be uh, sus- you know, subject to violence if they did return to Jamaica. Um, and some, some uh, certainly, one man who's uh, got a number of children here, married to a British woman, uh, and uh, and his his cousin and another man he knows have both been killed since being deported to the to Jamaica.
3: Yes, we do get reports of that. I think in the last year, five or six people just in the last year alone, have died post-deportation. And part of that, part of that, what we know from reports on the ground, part of that is because of the sort of quite ceaseless communication from government which sort of emphasises again and again whether it's true or not that these are all the most serious criminals. They're all the worst type of criminals, the government keeps saying. So when these people land there, you've got gangs and other groups that sort of target them as as soon as they hit the ground. So you're putting their lives in danger at the other end.
1: Okay, well, we had the court decision, the Court of Appeal, last night, I think about 8 o'clock. And then, um, despite that fact, um, people were taken out of uh, Harman's and other detention centres on coaches. Um, We understand the Home Office said that uh, legal proceedings were ongoing uh, and they'd asked the Court of Appeal to reconsider the ruling. Uh, A ruling overnight uh, from uh, the court, uh, they they ruled that the Home Office had lost its appeal in the early hours of this morning, which meant, again, that dozens of people in the... Those two Heathrow detention sentences would not be removed. Uh, A statement from the uh, Home Office uh, in the last um, hour has said, uh, we make no apology for trying to protect the public from serious violent and persistent foreign national offenders. The court ruling does not apply to all of the foreign national offenders due to be deported and we are therefore proceeding with the flight. They said the guidance on those taken off the flight is that the court did not order that these foreign national offenders cannot be deported from the UK at a future date. We're just going to be going through, it would appear, uh, more of an appeals process. Um, but saying, given that in the wake of the Windrush um, uh, affair, um, that there was um, there, in, in the early, you know, the early indications is that the, the, the inquiry into that was going to recommend uh, that, uh, that we, we, we don't have this sort of default deportation and that there may be many thousands more people affected in similar circumstances, particularly children brought here uh, at a very early age. Um, the government seems to be sort of going against the recommendations of its own inquiry.
3: Well, that wouldn't be the first time they've done that, would it? Um true. The Shaw review, which they commissioned into vulnerable people in detention, also made the same recommendation. It said that at a certain point, some people, you just have to admit, are more British than their foreign. The Windrush Lessons Learned review, that draft that we've now seen in the public domain, seems to say that people who came here under the age of 13, people who haven't really committed serious offences automatic deportation should be reviewed but you know the government is 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 committed to ignoring um evidence that it's it's commissioned um, and advice that it's commissioned and that's what i find most troubling that we know that in the system there are these problems where they make mistakes where they wrongly designate people in the wrong categories if you've got a situation where eight hours before a flight takes off a course is saying hang on you've not Dotted the eyes and crossed the Ts here. I think these flights just need to be put on hold until they have figured
1: that out.
0: Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer, weekday mornings from six thirty on Talk Radio.
1: Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from six thirty on DAB smart speaker and online at TalkRadio.co.uk.